We're looking tonight at Luke 14, Luke 14. I don't want to keep you past 8 o'clock. That's the time we get out, so you can plan that each week. We're picking back up in the middle of a study. We've already looked at the 16, all 16 Galilean parables, and we looked at those in chronological order. There's 40 total parables, and different people disagree on how many there are. Some include some similes in with parables. Some include some allegories. I conclude there's 40, and uh, <clears throat> I think we're pretty close, but uh, there's 16 Galilean parables, and we've already looked at seven of the Perean parables. There's 18 Perean parables total. Now, Perea, remember, is not a place. It's a reference to out beyond the cities. When Jesus would travel those little villages, those dusty roads, Crowds would follow him, people would come out to meet him, and he'd tell a parable. There are six Jerusalem parables we'll look at the last six weeks of our study. And the 40 are in the table of contents out there in, in chronological order. And if you missed the table of contents or the introduction material or any of the parables, you may find it out there. If not, we can get you a copy. And some of you have little booklets you've put them in, and you fill in the blanks faithfully. But it's been a long time since we've looked at a parable. Because of COVID, we had to break our evening services. But we're going to look at Luke 14, but first, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 and 11. I want to just explain why Jesus uses parables. Now remember, there's two little words that identify a parable, and I've said this every week for you to memorize those two little words. Like and as. When the Bible says the kingdom of heaven is like, Jesus is about to share a parable. <clears throat> and remember, parables are not true stories. They're stories Jesus made up to illustrate truth. And he'll just make up a story to illustrate truth, and he has stories that fit each and every situation. And uh, we've, as we said, we've looked at... Uh, Seven pre and parables tonight. We're looking at the eighth one, and, and it's, it's a unique passage in Luke 14, but we're going to read Matthew 13, 10, and 11. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So we would tell stories, and his followers could figure it out, but the lost people couldn't. And he told them to rebuke false teachings, and there's a lot of reasons. And each one of my parables, I've given you the reason he told the story, the lesson he was teaching, and then we have a practical application to your life. And so we, we say RLA, reason, and we find the lesson and the application. And, and so we're looking at Luke 14 tonight. Some scholars believe Luke 14 is the same as Matthew 22. Now remember, there are parallel passages. We call these synoptic parables because the word synoptic means see together. And quite often you'll see a parable that's repeated in the other two Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptics. John is unique. In fact, 92% of John's material is unique to John. It's not repeated anywhere else. But you will find Matthew, Mark, and Luke Quite often, all three of them will say something about, share a parable and say something about that parable. And so I always give you the most thorough passage. But in this case, 
the parable is only found in Luke chapter 14, so it wasn't hard to pick which passage is the most thorough. But we know that here uh, is Jesus telling us a, a parable, and we know that he had visited the house. We pick up now um, in the reason Jesus told the story. Jesus had visited the house of a leading Pharisee, a chief Pharisee, according to verse 1. And remember the Pharisees were very, very, very separated, extremist. Um, they weren't saved. They thought they were because they did so many good works. And I mean, they tried to abide by every jot and tittle of the Old Testament, but they missed the big point that Jesus was a Messiah that the Old Testament spoke about. You can keep all those rules and all those laws if you want to and go straight to hell, because if you don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah of the Old Testament, you're going to go to hell. So they were really off so much because their heart was hard and they were dependent on their own righteousness and Jesus was constantly rebuking them. They were a very, very uh, um, separated extremist group. They thought they were more spiritual than everybody. They were different than the Sadducees. The Sadducees were very wealthy. They were aristocrats. They denied the resurrection. The Pharisees believed the resurrection. They actually hated each other until it came time to oppose Jesus. <laughs> then they got together against Jesus. But the Pharisees, you know, every church has had a Pharisee or two in the church. You know what I'm talking about? You've experienced that at some time in your Christian walk. I don't know anyone here that's a Pharisee, but people who act like Pharisees, it seems that they're in every church. They're the ones that go around telling everybody how wrong they are and rebuking everybody and telling what you need to do and how this little thing you're doing is wrong and this little thing you're doing is wrong. Years ago when I was a pastor in Okinawa, once in a while, we'd have some young, zealous GI come and get in the church, and then he would question something. He had one young man that said, I, I told Lloyd this story tonight, I, I'm against this Easter cantata we're having. And I asked him why, and he said, because Easter's not in the Bible. And of course, the word Easter is in the Bible, and I just flipped over and showed it to him, you know. Then we had some guy that was against Christmas trees in the Fellowship Hall, and so I explained to him, Martin Luther invented the tree, Christmas tree, and the green means everlasting, and the light's the light of the world, and the star of David, and the gift's the gift of eternal life, and all that. But there were always people that went around telling people they weren't dressed right, and this and that. And that's what we call modern-day Pharisees. They're really not the same thing, but you understand by me explaining that what I mean when we talk about the Pharisees. That's the way they were. And they were constantly saying to Jesus, your disciples don't wash right, the ceremonial, wa ceremonial washing before this ordinance, they didn't wash right. And Jesus would constantly come back at them and talk about their hearts. You know, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart, right? And so he was in constant conflict with them because they were lost, and Jesus, of course, is a son of God. They were full of hypocrisy. They would do things certainly that were wrong, and we had just finished a parable, how many weeks ago? <laughs> Months ago about choosing the lowest seat in the wedding feast. And Jesus said, don't choose the best seat at a wedding because someone may come, he's talking about the Pharisees, and say you need to move back. You're not as important as you think, in other words. And it was a mark of a, a thing of humility. And so he was rebuking the Jews who always expected the best seats. That was a thing back then. Now you can't get anyone in the front row. But, you know, in those days, the, the front row, the aristocrats sat in the front row, and so the Pharisees would flock down there. And Jesus is saying humility is the person who takes the back seat and is asked to move up because they're more important than they thought. And so we, we studied that. But now we're looking at this parable, 
And uh, we're going to find the lesson Jesus is teaching in chapter 14, verse uh, 15. It says, And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must need, I got to go see it. And I'm paraphrasing. He had an excuse. The next man said, I bought an ox and I got to test it out. The next man said, I just got married in verse 20. And by the way, that, that's the only excuse that actually by law would hold water. If you got married according to Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 5, you had a new bride, you could get out of doing some things like go to war and different things. But these are just excuses. That's the point here. They just made excuses not to come. And so his servants came and showed the Lord and the master these things. And the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, Go quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and hither, and get the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. Go get anyone to come to this banquet that can come. And the Lord said, go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. And he goes on to say, that, that for I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. That's a parable. It's not a true story. But it illustrates a great truth, doesn't it? Whosoever will may come. And God gave the gospel to who? The Jews first. And they rejected him. When Jesus Christ came on the scene, what did He tell His disciples? Don't go to the Gentiles. Go to the house of Israel, not the Gentiles. He said, actually, don't go to them now. Until the Jews rejected Him, then He said, now go to all the world, to every creature. I'm glad that we're grafted in, amen? I'm glad we're saved. I'm glad those... 11 went out and changed, turned the world upside down, changed the world and started churches. And I'm so thankful for that because I'm saved and I, I thank God for that. Uh, yeah, I know it's been thousands of years, 2000 plus years, but I'm thankful that the Jew, Gentiles were grafted in. And so he, he says here, uh, blessed are, are those that will eat of the kingdom. But all these aristocrats, these people wouldn't come. Man get, makes a big bank, banquet, sends a servant out. And it was customary in that day to RSVP. You know what that means, right? To reply. My son's getting married in May. I, I, I'm so stressed right now. I don't have time to stress about things for two more weeks before I can stress about the things I got to stress about. Uh, my son's getting married. He says, Dad, I'm really busy. Can you take care of the rehearsal dinner? Well, I had to pay for it, of course, but now I've got to organize it and plan it and figure all that out. And uh, that's not cheap, you know. I mean, you know, that's a big chunk of change there. And and I've got two missionaries that are applying with their board, and we got this merge thing, and I had a pastor call me Friday. He wanted to talk to me for two hours to get advice, and I wanted to just say, does anybody understand that I have a life? And I don't mean it like that, but... Uh, you know, you, you get to where you've got so much on you. My wife's got a really bad uh, health report. She's got a, a leaky valve and another worse thing with her heart and Raynards and lupus and her lupus is attacking her heart and she can't breathe and she's up all night coughing and in bed till two in the afternoon a lot of days and 
And so I'm trying to be there for her. And, uh, you know, it's just, it, it kind of piles up on you. And, and uh, I'm not in a bad mood or anything. Don't worry, I'm not going to explode tonight. But my, my, my point is, think of Jesus. He carried the weight of the world on his shoulders. He knew he was going to die for the sins of everyone. And he takes time to share a story and get everyone to understand that come unto me all you that are heavy laden. He said, go out and get the maimed and the poor. And the church has lost that vision today. How many churches you know that someone's going by and going up under a bridge and saying, hey, you want to go to church? I'll buy you a good meal afterwards. You go to church with me. How many, how many people do you know today that are going out and finding crippled people to make sure they get into the house of God? Do you know if we really believe Scripture, Isaiah says those people will walk again. And those people will be healthy again. The lame will walk. I mean, God may heal people today, but we know in heaven we have a new body. And so the lesson here is clear that God says, hey, RSVP, but all of them made an excuse. They didn't show up. And she said, fine, just go ahead and we'll invite everybody imaginable. And, and the, it's interesting, Scripture over and over again teaches us that the lowest in this life will be the greatest in the kingdom. And I'm wondering how many of us really believe that. You know, you treat me good, and thank you. And it's, it's, it's good that you treat me good. I, I appreciate that. Your kind words is what I'm talking about. I'm always getting encouragement from you. It's wonderful. But I wonder sometimes if we had somebody in our church that were very wealthy or very famous, would we treat them different than we would treat the homeless guy or the crippled? Right? Don't you hate those silent pauses that I pull out there? But, hey, we have to think about that. They're the greatest in the next kingdom. Those that get saved and that are the least in this life will be the greatest in the kingdom. We may be shocked when we get to heaven. Someone we thought was going to be in the front of the line getting all the rewards. They're cleaning restrooms. Now, they're not going to be restroom cleaning. I know that. But my, my hyperbole is well noted, isn't it? that the greatest in the kingdom are going to be those that are the least in this life. That's why Jesus said, don't ever hinder a child from coming to me. <laughs> years ago up in Saudi, great, eight and a half years, great people there. I was interim pastor for eight and a half years, and I love the people. And uh, But I had one couple, they didn't like children coming in the church. He had just painted the lobby. and Here they come now, they put their hands all over those walls. Look at the marks all over the walls. And I wanted to say, well, you wake up. Those are souls for whom Christ died. They're not a nuisance. Oh, they have sticky fingers. I actually like sticky fingers. Pretty good barbecue there, you know. Not to change the subject. But um, and we have to realize that we, we sometimes lose sight of, of, of the important things in church. And we, and I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it. We see someone, oh, brother, here's so-and-so. You know, they're, they're nothing. They're just a nuisance. Let me tell you something. God doesn't appreciate that. He loves them as much as he loves you, as much as he loves me. And he said, go and get these people to come. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this scripture has always been interesting to me. 
Nothing new under the sun, but you, you've read it as well, and you'll remember it when I read it. But look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not, not many mighty, excuse me, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound those which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. It's amazing. I knew a guy on campus years ago when I did my undergrad work named George. He was blind. He was sold out to God. He'd be coming down that street and singing, singing to the top of his voice. And, you know, everybody knew George. He dove into a swimming pool as a teenager and uh, was blind from that day forward, hit his head. His roommates would play terrible jokes on him, mismatch his clothes, so he may have a lime green shirt and a bright orange tie on or something, you know. But I think about George when I think about heaven. <laughs> he won't need that stick to find his way down the streets of gold. And he'll be singing. There's within my heart a melody. <laughs> You know, he's got it. And, and, and God has chosen people like George, who's blind, that can be a great witness without ever seeing anything. I think it'd be worse to be blind after having sight to know what you're missing, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. You can't ask that question because a person who's never seen anything couldn't answer that question. But a person who lost their sight would certainly regret it. But I, I remember, uh, George, and he knew my voice. I had a distinctive voice, I guess, and he'd say, Hey, Brother Dan. I thought, if anybody ever touches that guy, I'm going to thump him, you know. <laughs> He's just a jolly guy, and, 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 I, and, that, and that's the thing I can think of with rejoicing in my heart is that one day he's going to see. Now look back at chapter, our, our text is chapter 14, but look at 1334. And here's why Jesus tells this parable. Remember, Jesus came to what? Seek and to save that which was where the Pharisees lost, where the Jews lost, where the Sadducees lost, where the scribes lost. In most cases, yes. And in 1334, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stones, stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth her brood under her wings? And what are the last four words? And ye would not. Think of all the prophets they killed. Read your Old Testament. Eventually they'd kill all the disciples except John, the son of Zebedee. All of them would be martyred. Not just Jerusalem, but I mean all over the world they'd be martyred, but... He went to the Jew first. He said, I sent prophets to you. And what would you do with the prophets? Well, the application to your life. And we will be out on time, thank the Lord, tonight. And these are things normally I just, if we have time, we go through some of them. If not, you can do them at home. But let's go ahead and go through a few of these because God says to everyone, whosoever will may come. You say, Brother Dan, sometimes you say we're chosen. Both are taught in Scripture, aren't they? We are chosen. Now, I'm not a five-point Calvinist, okay? 
So when I say we're chosen, we're chosen just the way Ephesians said we're chosen. God, before the world began, knew you'd be saved, and he called you. It's interesting. Someone said it's sort of like walking up to a, a doorway, and it says on top, whosoever will may enter in, and you go in and you look back, and it says you're chosen before the world began. <laughs> whosoever will is still in the Bible. You, you just can't take that out of the Bible. My dad, we were Christian Reformed. We left the Christian Reformed church. My dad got frustrated. He was witnessing, and one of the Christian Reformed men says, Bob, you're casting your pearls before swine. And that's a Bible passage that teaches that swine are interested in spiritual things, so don't bother with them. And it irritated my dad because my dad always witnessed. He wanted people to Christ, and he believed in witnessing, and he believed in whosoever will. So we ended up being a joining a Baptist church, and we all got immersed. But I remember my dad was frustrated by that. And look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, because this is something if someone says to you that, you know, he only died for the elect or... Sometimes it's God's will for people to go to hell. You know, you can share this verse with them. And so we'll give you a jump start on a few of these verses. And I have here to highlight it in your Bible and write it out, but don't take the time to write it out now unless you're a fast writer. I took shorthand in college, didn't do so, so well. And I can still write shorthand, I just can't read my own writing. Second Peter 9 says, For God is not slack when it, well." as some men count slackness, but as long, the part I want you to know, is, but as long suffering, and then the last words are, 2 Peter 3, 9, not willing that any should. Does God want people to perish? No. No, He doesn't. He's not willing that any should perish. The Bible tells us God doesn't take any pleasure in the death of a wicked person. In fact, we have to be careful. I pray for Joe Biden's salvation and Kamala Harris's salvation. I don't want him to go to hell. I mean, I wish they understood how to find the southern border. <laughs> I wish they understood that life begins at conception, but they don't. I don't want him to go to hell. I want him to be saved. And if they got saved, they'd make different decisions. I know that. I pray for president's salvation. The Bible tells me to pray for my president's. One guy said, yeah, I pray for him. I pray that his office will end and somebody else will replace him. That's not what I pray. But, you know, I know people in this season have been so worked up. But remember, the Bible said men are going to become worse and worse in our world. If you expect America to get better, you're sad and you're wrong. We could use revival and people get saved, but the world is going to get worse and worse. Our leaders are going to get worse. I'm thankful for a handful of Christians on Capitol Hill, just a handful of them. One of the men on our board, his son-in-law was a congressman in North Carolina, a definite believer. And I'm thankful for those guys. But anyway, we're not going to look at Revelation 22, 17, but it talks about who swore will may come, blah, 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 blah. I'm going through that. But look at 1 John 2, 2 with me. This is another one you want to mark in your Bible, 1 John 2, 2, because people will say, well, he only died for the elect. And that's what Calvinist, five-point Calvinist teaches. He only died for the elect. And so you want to make a note of this. This is the most important verse for you to know when it comes to dealing with that kind of a teaching. 1 John 2, 2. John is speaking here, and he says, and I'm paraphrasing, he just didn't, he didn't just die for my sins, but he died for the sins of the whole. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2, 2. 
Mark that in your Bible and, and memorize it. You know, understand it. It clearly teaches. Second Peter 3, 9, clearly he teaches God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He wants all men to be saved. First John 2, 2 says he died for the sins of the whole world. And we know Luke 19, 10, I already quoted it. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. And then John 20, 21, he, he tells us to follow his example. And he says in John 20, 21, to do the same thing he did. Look what it says. And we'll dismiss in just a moment. John 20, 21. Then Jesus said to them, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, what? So send I you. So are we supposed to be witnesses? Are we casting our pearl before swine, as my Christian Reformed friend said? No. We're sharing the gospel with the lost, and we're commanded to do that. And of course, Mark 16, 15 is a command that you are well aware of. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know John 3.16. But look at John 3.18. We'll close with this. Our last verse, John 3.18. This is simple stuff you could have done at home. Sometimes I give you a little more difficult, but this is pretty simple. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned what? Already. Do you know we're eternal beings? Every person that's born in this universe, his spirit is an eternal spirit. And that spirit's going to spend eternity in one place or the other. Our bodies aren't eternal. They're temporary. It's a temporary tabernacle. But if you don't know Jesus, and most of you profess that you do know Jesus, but if you don't know him, the Bible says you're already condemned. Did you know? <laughs> I don't know when the age of accountability is. My wife was saved at five. I was saved at 12. Jesus talks about 12 years old being the official time of bar mitzvah, and that's when the Jews went and their accountability process began. But we know people that are saved before that. And I'm not sure about all that, but I know this. Um, and I forgot what I was going to say, but one thing I was going to say is we have to come to the place where we can understand the gospel, and then all of a sudden we're accountable. And the Holy Spirit will draw us to God, and He'll, He'll make it obvious that we're, we're lost. I knew I was lost when I went to First Baptist Church of Okemos and heard that preacher preaching, and I knew I'd go to hell. But you're eternally condemned if you don't know Jesus. But if you know Him, you're not condemned. In fact, you already have eternal life. John tells us that. That's all I have. Any comment or question tonight?